This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic, a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains to support healthy regularity and your gut, immune, and skin health. Optimize your gut health. Visit seed.com slash Spotify with code Spotify for 30% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. bells ceased as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise, deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the merchant's wine cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still, said Scrooge. I won't believe it. That was a passage from the greatest ghost story ever told, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's a moral tale regarding a sour old miser who's obsessed with money, power over the less fortunate, and in time he developed a blinding greed so strong that eventually had no boundaries. It's a final caveat in the winter hours of Ebenezer Scrooge to show a man who was once considered good that his selfish ways in life, which he naively considered as success, amounted to absolutely nothing in the end. The four ghosts, including his eternally damned ex-business partner, Jacob Marley, were all there to warn Scrooge before he would most certainly expire into an abysmal sea of lost souls for all eternity. Scrooge was saved by a message from the undead, ghosts and entities in limbo. But what message are the enigmatic and often horrifying night visitors leaving for the people who have experienced them throughout human history? Are these dark specters ghosts as we've known them by tradition? Are they of extraterrestrial origin or even interdimensional intruders. It's astonishing how many different people have told me their stories of strange encounters in the darkest hours of night and only assumed that they were the spirits of deceased human beings. I've even had my own personal experiences with a couple of these unnameable phantoms. I'll never forget it. It's those extremely rare moments in a life where everything changes. A profoundly striking realization takes over. 
when you're forced to question the boundaries between what's supposed to be movie fantasy and the seemingly secure reality that we've all created for ourselves. When that wall suddenly comes crumbling down, it's an indescribable feeling. I grew up with ghost stories all around me. My friends and I would often get together, sometimes sneak into local graveyards and tell spooky stories late into the night. And the neighborhood kids would even dare each other to conjure up ghastly spirits of urban legend, like Bloody Mary. We would all take turns gazing into a mirror in a dark room and saying her name repeatedly till she was eventually supposed to appear. But thankfully, she never did. I swear to you though, no matter how vivid my imagination was, no matter how much my curiosity grew for the unknown, there's no way my mind alone could conjure up my personal experience with the unexplainable. The first encounter happened when I was 14 years old. I was staying at a friend's house for the night. There were three of us, and after a long day of adventures outside, followed by a typical Saturday night full of horror movies and heavy metal music, we all began to fall asleep. I was the last to drift off. I was resting on the floor of my friend's bedroom. I remember gazing up into a galaxy of green glow-in-the-dark stars that were stuck to his ceiling and listening to the crickets outside of his window. I soon fell into a deep sleep, perhaps for several hours, until I was suddenly awakened by a loud whispering. I certainly wasn't dreaming. I was wide awake and I immediately knew there was something very different about that sound. I called to my friend who was asleep in his bed. Do you hear that? There was no answer. The room was dark. I was terrified. This was unlike anything I had ever heard. It was being articulated by what sounded like a female voice, but the words were of a language that I didn't recognize. I called out to my friend again. Did you guys hear that? One of my buddies who was barely awake answered back. Go back to sleep, man. I didn't hear anything. I listened for a bit longer, and I couldn't deny what I knew deep down. In an odd combination of anger and fear, I got up and walked out of the room. I walked around his house hoping to find the source of the sound, like Scrooge trying to dismiss the undead presence of Jacob Marley. I thought maybe it was my friend's sister on a late night phone call, perhaps a radio that was left on, a TV. I crept around the house like a night stalker, desperately trying to find the source. When I realized that it was most certainly something out of our realm of understanding, I was truly scared. I quickly hurried back to his room, got on the floor and pulled the blanket over my head. As I felt the voice knew I was awake. It knew I could hear it. It was speaking to me. I listened to it until the exhaustion took precedence over my fright. I fell asleep. I thought about it the entire day that followed. I couldn't stop thinking about it, but it felt safe that I wasn't going back to his house for a while, perhaps never again. But later that night, I heard it again. Whatever it was must have followed me. I was still scared, but this time I listened and tried to figure out what the words were. I listened as long as I could, but eventually I fell asleep. I never heard it again after that. It was only twice in my life at two separate locations, and only in the dead of night.
To this day, I can't tell you what the encounter was, but I swear I know both instinctively and intellectually that it was not an audible hallucination and not of this mortal world. I've had more than enough time to contemplate my ultimate conclusion. Tonight, we'll discuss what these visitors might be and we'll learn firsthand of the strange case of Tiffany Mack. I'll return after this commercial break. In 1968, George Romero reflected back at the world with his horror classic, Night of the Living Dead. Throughout four decades, from the rising dawn and on throughout land, he continued to inspire our nightmares. Now, three years after his death, George A. Romero returns from the grave with his final masterpiece, The Living Dead, a mammoth novel and his ultimate zombie epic. From Tor Books and co-authored by Daniel Krauss comes George A. Romero's The Living Dead. Find it wherever books are sold. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, breathing around 30,000 gallons of air daily. According to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And in some cases, it could be 100 times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths across the world. Clean air is essential in my studio environment as I spend a lot of time indoors making off to the witch. So what's the solution? Introducing an air purifier that captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold, so your lungs don't have to. Their Ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. They also feature whisper jet fans, 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code WITCH, and, depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code WITCH. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep, it's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook.
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight we're talking about strange otherworldly visitors. Our guest is Tiffany Mack. She's the current co-host, along with Kevin Hale, of the KGRA radio paranormal show titled Universal Secrets. She explores the unknown in her career, but many of her listeners aren't aware of her own bizarre encounters. Tonight, we'll explore the extraordinary tale of a woman who is constantly visited by entities from an unknown realm. So here's my interview with Tiffany Mack. I was always interested in horror stories. I never really experienced a whole lot as a young person. Um, I just liked the idea of getting a, a thrill and a scare. One of my favorite authors was Stephen King. Um, I started reading his books when I was about eight years old, um, and I kept on at that level of, of literature um, throughout most of my life. I'm an avid reader. Um, don't make me quote anything. <laughs> so. so when you were a girl, you're exposed to these stories, and much like a lot of us. I mean, for, for myself, too, I, I read voraciously Stephen King, even H.P. Lovecraft, which was, you know, somewhat the language is a little too advanced for a kid, but still read it. But when you were a little girl, you're immersed in this world of horror and fantasy. At what point did you realize perhaps some of this stuff was true? Like, what was the first time you had a was it when you were a little girl? Did you have a profound experience when you were a little girl? Well, there were there were multiple experiences. Um, one of the ones that really stands out with me is um, I was about five or six years old, and I was at my grandparents' house, which they lived about 40 minutes from where we were. So we would go there every weekend, large family. Um, my grandfather was um, military, so we grew up sort of Air Force brats, all of us, Um and every weekend we would go and spend time with each other. I had about 30 first cousins on that side. And we would play, uh, running around the house, running out in the streets and just have a good old time. But I do remember there was a, one of the first times that I had an experience that was a little shocking was uh, when I was about five or six years old. I went upstairs into my grandparents' um, top floor. There were three bedrooms, one bathroom. And um, this is a house that my my mom and her family had lived in for probably about 15 years. Um, and it had been a new home. Uh, I don't think there was anyone that had lived there before. Uh, no deaths on the property that I'm aware of, just to put that out there. Um, so I went upstairs and, and I was hiding. We were playing hide and go seek with my cousins. And at the end of the hallway, there was a tall floor to ceiling mirror. And I remember looking into the mirror and thinking, huh, that doesn't quite look like me. It looks like me, but it's not me. And I remember having pigtails in my hair that day. And my the person in front of me was a little girl my age, but her hair was down. And I remember thinking, what is going on? So of course I, you know, flipped around, ran down the stairs and my mom and my aunts were all huddled in the kitchen cooking dinner. And, um, and I was a little freaked out and I said, mom, there's a little girl upstairs. 
And I remember them all just sort of looking at me like, uh, which one of your cousins is it? And, and I said, it's not one of my cousins. It's somebody else. I said, it looks like me, but it's not me. So everybody went upstairs and there was nothing there. Um, and I hated going upstairs in this house. There was really no reason that I, I didn't like it. But my entire um, childhood and teen years, I hated going up there. Um, but anyway, so that that little girl was shocking to me. Um, and then later in life, I, I had a, another connection. And I believe that it was the same girl who had come back to visit. So you were okay. So as a as a kid, you're exposed to fiction, but at the same time now you're having, and like a lot of us have. But not at having, that age. At that age. Yeah. At that age, I was too young. Okay. So at that age, you had yet to see any horror movies or read right. any Stephen King, but you did have an experience. Now at the time, did you know what a ghost was? Did you did you think the little girl was a ghost? What if you can recall what you were thinking back she then? She looked solid. The girl looked solid to me. Um, it was not something that I would have automatically thought. Oh my gosh, there's a ghost upstairs. All I knew was there was a little girl who was not me standing between me and the mirror. Um, and and at this point, I had never. I was too young. I had never seen any real scary movies. I was never allowed to watch anything beyond G films. Um, my parents were very protective of me in that way. Um, and I, I didn't really have anything to relate it to. It was not a dark figure. It was a little girl and it looked just like me. It's just, she wasn't. And what, so how long after that did you experience another anomaly? Um, you know, I, at about 10 or 11 years old, I, I got this book called, um, out of body experiences, a handbook. And this book was fairly new. I found it in my library. It was written in 1981. Um, and I just found it really interesting because I had been dreaming these very realistic dreams and I could put myself in the position to control the dreams, or at least I felt that I could. So this was just a book that I checked out at the library and um, I ended up, they let me keep it. The library was just getting rid of books and I, I thought it was great. And I looked at it and I started to try to um, control my body, my mind at that age, about eight or nine years old, maybe 10. And I started to have what I guess you would call out-of-body experiences um, around that age. And it was very shocking to me. It was exciting. Um, and it was definitely something that I tried to explain to my friends and my family. And they just were like, huh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> go on, go read your books. So you, and once again, there's so many of us out there that had this fascination as kids. And, you know, it's more common than people think. It's It seems to be a subject matter that most kids just get completely blown away by and that they can explore. I think it's um, it's a way for a kid to have control over something, to explore something that's uh, less monotonous than their everyday life at school or wherever. But not everyone is having an experience where they see things manifest in, in reality. And so you 
that must have been pretty profound for you as a as a little girl, right? Seeing another little girl, you didn't forget it. No, I never did. And in fact, I I remembered it again when I was about 15. I had a dream of this little girl and I asked my mom. I said, "Did do you remember me ever saying something about a little girl being upstairs that looked like me but wasn't me?" And she said, "Yeah." And at first I really thought that maybe I had imagined it. Um this is me at 15 looking back and asking my mom again. So um actually the night before I turned 15, I had a a dream. I was sharing a bedroom with my little sister who was 5 years younger than me and uh, she and I, um, you know, went to bed, say, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I, I, I was still going to bed fairly early because I was running and I was swimming and I was just really exerting myself daily. Um, but the night before I turned 15, I had a dream or what I thought was a dream. I sat up in my bed and my grandmother was sitting on the edge of my bed and she told me, you know, I just wanted to say that I love you, I'm proud of you, and everything that you are doing is just wondrous, everything. Keep it all up. Run, swim, compete, um, learn, and, and just do the best that you can and tell your mother that I am appreciative of all that she has done for you. And so, of course, I thought that was a wonderful dream. So I get up in the morning. And my mom is making breakfast and she's a little sort of shaken. And I said, mom, I had this fantastic dream. And she goes, I had a fantastic dream. And I was like, okay, let's hear your dream. And she said, well, I had a dream that your grandmother called me on the phone and said, I'm so proud of you for raising my granddaughter with such grace and enthusiasm. And I just really appreciate all that you've done for her keep up the good work. And so just to clarify, and I don't mean to interrupt, but your grandmother had passed before this? This, this was my, my biological father's mother. So it was not my mom's mom who was still alive. This was my dad's mother who had passed away when I was 12. Okay. So we both had the same dream, except that she had called my mom on the phone. And then in my dream, she was sitting at the edge of my bed. So it was it was pretty shocking that uh, we would both have pretty much the same experience the night before I turned 15. Now, I don't think that there was anything um, significant about the age, but I could be mistaken. And that, and that is something to notice for sure. Now, you both had that same experience. But what was it after that? So from the time that you were a little girl, you saw the other little girl, you had this dream of your grandmother, now you're in your teens. When did it really hit you that there was something else? You know, honestly, I'd I'd seen a lot of different shadow beings. I've I'd seen things move on their own. I've felt presence in my room in other places. Um, my aunts seemed to always have a haunted house, and we would always joke about it because I I could never sleep in her homes because I was always being watched or touched or there was shadow beings in the room. So that was a, a challenge. Um, but honestly, it took me until I was about 32 before I really realized what was going on in this bizarre life that I leave. So 
You know, you had mentioned the girl earlier. Did you ever see her again? Actually, yes, I did. Um, when I was pregnant with my second daughter, um, it was about two and a half, three years between my first daughter and my second. Um, I was pregnant with my my youngest, and Madeline, who's my oldest, was laying on the bed beside me. She always slept with me. My husband worked night shift, so he was never home at night. So she slept with me, and I woke up with this feeling of, of movement on the end of the bed. So I looked up, and of course, there's there's some ambient light in the room, and I can see that there's a little girl sitting at the end of the bed. Of course, I think it's my daughter, Madeline, who is about almost three at the time. So I said, Madeline, lay down. You're going to fall off the bed. No answer. No movement. I was like, Maddie, you need to lay down. You're going to fall off the bed. No answer. So I finally said, Maddie, lay down. And she, the little girl looked at me and said, I'm not Maddie, mommy. And that freaked me out. I, I was like, okay, I don't have time for this. Just lay down. So I flipped the light on and the girl's gone. And my daughter is dead asleep under the blankets. And from what I remember, this little girl looked like the one from when I was about five or six years old at my grandfather's house. Um, and, and, and it shook me. It really shook me because I had a real connection momentarily. And I, I, I don't know why the little girl said, I'm not Maddie mommy. I, I don't know why she would call me mommy. I, it was just very confusing. And um, let's just say I didn't sleep the rest of the night. <laughs> You're listening to Off to the Witch from White Phosphorus Pictures, currently available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. It's also available on the official White Phosphorus Pictures YouTube channel at Garitano7. Subscribe today as our forthcoming YouTube show, White Phosphorus Presents, will premiere in early 2021, along with special screenings, short films, trailers, and behind the scenes of our new movie and TV projects. Go to YouTube now and subscribe to our channel at Garitano7. That's G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And visit our website at offtothewitch.com. Describe to me because you had mentioned them a couple of times. 
shadow beings. What, what are your experiences with what you call shadow beings? Well, um, a lot of times the ones that I've seen, I don't think that they're the same being. I think that there's been different beings throughout my life. Um, I do remember having one episode where I was in a hotel room, and this is why I say I don't believe that one place was haunted and I just happened to be there. I feel like something, things have been following me, or or maybe I can see into the veil or through the veil, maybe. Um, but I was in a, a hotel um, driving down from Kentucky to our home in Destin. We have a, a beach house in Destin, Florida. And we were in this hotel. My daughter and my husband at the time, Chris, was they were dead asleep. We were exhausted from driving. And there was a man standing in the corner. And of, of course, I couldn't see details, but it was the figure of a man. And I wake up and then Madeline wakes up and she says, Mama, just tell the bad man to go away. And, and that shocked me because now I have somebody who is witnessing things with me and she is confirming that there's someone else there. My husband, he sleeps through anything. And I, I mean, really, he just thought that I was just sort of wacko. So I never, never really spoke about it to him. But with my daughter confirming some of these sightings, it was um, shocking that she would be able to see him too. But it made me feel that it was more some type of familial, I don't know, a, a gift. So, you know, seeing the little girl, the visit from your grandmother, uh, seeing shadow beings here and there throughout the years, but was there ever a truly, what you would identify as a truly malevolent presence? And when was the first time that that happened? Well, there was one episode which happened a few years ago um, that was extremely terrifying for me. It, it shook me to my core. I wake up middle of the night in my bedroom and there was a hole in the wall and out of the hole starts swarming this um, these beings that were probably two to three feet tall and they had no hair they were really really skinny and I wouldn't even say that they reminded me of anything that I'd ever seen before they were very uh diminutive, very scrawny, skinny beings, big heads. And they were whispering and I can hear them whispering. And they kept saying, is she awake? Is she awake? And then they would go, she's awake. She's awake. She's awake. She's awake. Is she awake? And these things were coming out of the wall. There must have been dozens and dozens of them crawling out of the wall. They looked like ants swarming from from a nest in the ground and and they were going all over the ceiling the walls underneath the bed and they were trying to come up and touch my body on the bed i've never felt that terrified in my entire life as i felt in those moments and i flipped on the light and this was recently though maybe a few years ago and i had this this new boyfriend who's now my my husband and i was telling him what was happening and he flips on the light and i was like no don't turn on the light and he's like, why not? 
I said, because they can't get back into the hole. So I'd made them turn the light back off and they started, um, they were, they were like huddled underneath of my bed. And once they realized that the light was going to be turned on again, they started running back for the hole in the wall. And it was, it was like just a swarm of these beings and they scared the crap out of me. I was just so scared that these things would stay under the bed and would get me after the light went back off and I was supposed to be going back to bed. But, now, um, your, your husband was there. Mm-hmm. Did he experience anything? You know, no, he, he didn't see anything. Uh, he didn't feel anything. There was no evidence of anything. There was no hole in the wall. You know, it was just one of those things that, that I saw that nobody else could see. Makes you shake. It, it, it shakes your, your reality. Your, your whole mentality is you're in doubt of your own emotions and your, you know, physical being. This stuff sounds terrifying. And, you know, I've had my own experiences and, and, you know, as I recall, as a 14 year old, you know, when I, when I first experienced something that wasn't supposed to be there, it was absolutely terrifying to me, but it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to the things that you're explaining to me. And so out of everything that has happened, what, what, what is the apex? What's the experience that has really gotten to you that you can't forget? One of the biggest uh, situations that's sort of recurring uh, with my nighttime visitations has to do with something coming out of my mouth. And a a lot of times it's like a black, thick, um, almost like a not Play-Doh, but something a little bit more fluid than that, but really thick and gunky. And, um, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And a lot of times I, I can, I can physically pull some of it out. Um, but that's more of like a, a goo or a gunk. And I don't know where it comes from. Hold on a second. Is this something that's happening in the physical world or it's, it's in a dream? It's more like a dream state. Um, but there's, there's many levels to that, and it seems to only happen. Um, it's it's meant for fear. I think it's a, a, a way of gauging some kind of um, fearful energies. So take me back to the first time that this happened. So were you were you asleep, or did you think you were asleep, and then all of a sudden this this viscous fluid? filled your mouth or your throat. I'm, I'm just trying to, you got to create the picture for me. It's almost like I wake up in a, into whatever realm I'm in and I'm choking and I, I can't get it all out. I can't take a breath and I'm just struggling and getting to the point where I'm almost passing out because I don't have enough oxygen. Um, but it's not just like this black gunk. Sometimes it's um, like choking on what would be what would be similar to like eels or snakes and they're coming out of my throat and I'm just pulling and pulling and pulling and trying to get them out. And as soon as I have one out, then there's another one. Um, and, and I'm just choking and I can't breathe and I'm nearly passing out from lack of oxygen. And then there's, um, another type of, uh, situation where I'm doing the same thing, but this is like, uh, fur or hair and and it's I'm just pulling it out and pulling it out and pulling it out and choking um and so these are these are the worst 
feelings because I feel like I'm being invaded and something is coming out of me and I cannot get to the bottom of it. It's like continuously choking and, and, and I'm in a constant state of fear. Um, Has this happened more than once? Oh yeah. This happens, I would say probably once a month. Um, this is, is one of those experiences. And a lot of times I try to just totally ignore it. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't know what it was. It makes, it shakes me for, you know, the first few hours of, of, that time that I'm supposed to be getting my kids ready for school and things like that. It just sort of takes over my, um, my soul is, is being tormented if for the first few hours after awaking. So whatever it is, um, I, I, I almost forget about it after a while. And, and this is why the first time we spoke, it, it didn't really come out, but I cannot get out of that situation. I can't shake myself out of it. I can't, um, change my, my mentality while I'm in that state. It's complete and utter fear. I've heard stories of near death experiences or, or death experiences where people momentarily expired in an operating room and they come back with stories like this. You know, sometimes it's about seeing a white light and seeing all your relatives, but some of the other stories were more what hell is like, you know? Uh, and in this case, there, you know, one of the stories I heard is someone laying in a dark, cavernous uh, location, cold, wet. They couldn't even tell you where they were because it was so dark. But, but the choking experiences that you're talking about and the feeling of not being alone and you know all of that sounds very similar to me i just find that to be interesting it seems to me like i there's something that happens every every time i have this situation there's something that happens that i don't get so i'm unconscious for some, the first part so when i become conscious that's when the choking occurs and that's when all of the the stuff comes out of my body um and and it's absolutely nothing that I can control. Like I said, I've had um, periods of time where I felt like I could almost be a remote viewer and um, see into other regions or dimensions or whatever. But this, I can't get any information from the first part of these episodes. What, what do you think this is? You've had more time to contemplate this than anybody else. What do you think it is? I, you know, I really do feel like it may be a, a demonic thing. Um, it's not anything that I can use in my waking hours. Uh, it's not something that I can learn from, I don't think. Um, maybe it is the darkness coming out of us Maybe it's, um, maybe it's partly some kind of guilt or something manifesting as a, a black gunk or these nasty eels or this dark, nasty hair coming out. Interesting. It would probably take a long time, uh, you know, a deep analysis that would last a number of years just to, just to try and understand where this is coming from. You know, if it's purely psychological or there's some other force behind it, and um, you know, I'm, I don't have any, I don't have any training in in psych, but I've read some books, and you know, you had just said yourself this could be guilt manifesting, 
But then when we talk about religion, a lot of people claim that's also a spiritual thing, you know, uh, in many different religions, uh, you, you know, a karmic return is, could, is, is a form of guilt. So I, there's just so much to uh, analyze here with this. And the stories alone, I think, are, are what I'm giving to the audience is, is that allowing them to, to kind of analyze it themselves and, and, and try and understand. It's um, something that I wouldn't mind looking into further. I would uh, definitely like to maybe go into some kind of hypnosis to investigate it further. That may be something I do later in life. I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to comprehend it all just yet. No, understood. I mean, you're going through a very real experience. And you had mentioned, I mean, you know, I, I've asked you uh, previously if your husband had experienced things, and he did. And you told me about that. Has your husband at all recently experienced anything in regard to what you're talking about? Well, actually, last night he was describing um, a, a visitation of sorts. Before I went to sleep, I wanted to get some clarification, and I wanted him to finally see what I'm experiencing, not just, you know, experiencing it through my words and my actions and what's going on in the bedroom for me that I see. I wanted him to be able to experience something real and tangible. So this morning I awoke and he said I had something happen last night. And I didn't mention that I wanted to have an experience occur. I didn't mention that he was already asleep when I was thinking this. So this morning he says, um, I had an experience I got up in the middle of the night and I was going to turn the light on because I felt like somebody was in the room. So I got up and I reached for the light switch and an arm came out and a hand grabbed my wrist and he said it was so strong. And so he started to struggle a little bit and then there were other beings and he sort of froze and these beings tackled him. He said there was four or five. I and mean, he's, a, he's a big guy. He's almost 6'5". And he's just this massive guy. And he said it took about five of them to tackle him and get him on the ground. And this is, this is the first time that he's having a, had an experience like this. Now, this isn't exactly what I was expecting. This isn't something that I wanted to happen. What I wanted to happen was for him to see something, <laughs> not have these four or five beings tackle him to the ground and incapacitate him. But um, he, he was a little shaken, to say the least. I'm going to ask this anyway, even though I've had my own experiences that are somewhat similar. Did you at any point question your own sanity? And if not, you know, once you determined you weren't insane, uh, how would you explain it to somebody that would immediately make that judgment? Because it's easy for people to do that uh, if they don't really know much about insa true insanity. Well, well, of course I, I question my sanity. I, there's been many times where I've questioned it, and it makes you feel all alone because nobody can understand even when you try to describe those experiences most rational people don't want to believe that there's actually something going on that may be supernatural or or beyond our um 
five senses, we don't have that sixth, they say. But I I disagree. After years, I mean, like I said, I'm 42 years old. I've been having experiences for 35 years. Why would I continuously have these experiences, but only have them at night, not during the day? Most of the most of the time they weren't during the day. Most of the time it's it's nighttime visitors is what I call them. People always talk about sleep paralysis, the hypnagogic state or hypnagogia or whatever. And I I never really experienced the sleep paralysis. And I think that there's so many people out there that say, oh, well, you know, it's just part of the, the, uh, the sleep process. It's part of, you know, um, you falling asleep and, you know, being reactive. But I don't think that ever had anything to do with my experiences. I don't think that um, sleep paralysis can explain how there are people coming and going in your room or or um, beings of light coming in your room. I, I don't think that fully explains it. I think it's more of a a generic uh, way to just tune you out and give you some pills and try to act like you're psychotic. And I, I think that there are genuinely a lot of people here on earth who have had these experiences. And I feel bad because this is part of why I, I came forward, you know, on my own show, why I came out with with the things that have happened to me, because I don't want my children and uh, other people to feel so persecuted and feel just like they have been left in the dark and handed pills. I don't think the pills, the pills aren't going to work. If you're having something that is truly in a spiritual or otherworldly activity, pills aren't going to help. And I, you know, I even tried, I even tried to take some when, when I started, uh, when I came back from Greece, I started taking some and it didn't help because it wasn't, it didn't have to do with psychosis. It had to do with, um, things that we can't explain. It had to do with things that are completely foreign, things that, that people want to call um, just stories. It, and and, and they're, they're not fake stories. Things are happening, and they have happened, like you said, for thousands of years, millennia. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club is fighting for a chance at promotion. These two Hollywood stars lead a team in the midst of history in the making, while dedicated staff and supporters hold on to a dream of returning the team and this working-class town in Wales to glory. FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres September 12th on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. What's art worth if it drains your life away? If your fire to create burns so strong that it roasts the very balance of your life, then what is it all worth? I needed a film that would lift me over that wall. It came to me like a specter crashing in from another dimension. Mayhem's what will catch their attention. Mayhem's what will sell tickets. South Texas Blues, the new graphic novel about the making of the most infamous motion picture of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Visit SouthTexasBlues.com and order your copy today. Take me to another story. Take me to another one you truly remember that you just can't forget. Um, something really profound. It doesn't necessarily have to be terrifying, but uh, but often those are the ones that you you never forget. Well, one of the one of the things that that keeps happening. It's sort of like a recurring visitation, I guess is what I would call it. Um, and this started happening almost on a nightly basis starting around two years ago. I had just moved in with my new husband, Brent, and he's a, he's a pilot with um, a large company. He's been a professional pilot for going on 34 years. Um, he is part of Homeland Security as well. So he's a very strong, upstanding guy, uh, very likable and believable. And I'm not sure if these situations started occurring more frequently because I finally had somebody in my life who was concerned enough and protective enough to actually listen and and try to protect and defend but um, once I moved in with him, I started having almost nightly visitations. And what happened would, was, um, so there would be a portal which would open up on the ceiling. And a lot of times there was this, you can sometimes look through the portal and see almost like a, a gray, 
I don't want to say a craft, but it was like a gray room with little beings up there. And so on in the center of the portal, there would be extended what looked to be um, like a robotic arm. And at the end of the arm was like a telescopic or a, a camera that would sit there and try to autofocus. And it would come in right above my face, trying to get my attention and just sort of watching. And I'm assuming that this thing is just trying to get my reaction to, I don't think that was much of a, a, a I don't think it was something that was trying to intimidate. I think it was just trying to gauge everything that was going on with me at the moment. And almost almost every single time that this entity opens up the portal and comes through, there were always other beings in the room and they would come through and they would stand around the bed. Um, so one of the big, one of the main people who come through is um, a very large man, I don't know, seven feet, eight feet tall, very large, usually um, wearing what I would consider to be camo or fatigues. Um, he looked very military. Um, and as he would come around, the first time he came around, um, he tried to reach and grab my dog and I kicked out at him and, and I was like, don't touch my dog. And then, um, and it, you know, as I was trying to, to keep him away from my little dog at the end of the bed, he would reach out towards me. So I'm, I'm fighting with somebody who, you know, Brent couldn't see, but every time one of, one of these portals open, I wake him up and I tell him, he's like, okay, where is it? What's going on? Who is there? What do they look like? And I'm describing this in real time, exactly what is going on. And I, I, it's got to be so bizarre for someone else to hear what's going on, but not be able to see what is actually happening. So, I mean, the, he could see that my fear is real. My fear is real. I am physically fighting with somebody that he can't see, and I'm describing them. And, um, and so... Um, the first time that this being came in, he gotten, gotten my face. And I remember thinking, huh, you're just a man. You're just a big man, but you're just a man. And he changed his face. His face changed and it ended up sort of morphing into what I would consider to look like a, a reptile. And the only thing that I can think of, you know, now during the day and thinking back is this had to have been a reptilian. And I'm thinking, God, do they really exist? And I don't know what, it, what, what, what the point is. I don't know if it's to um, intimidate and cause fear because my heart rate's up. I am freaking out. And, um, or if it's, they're trying to see what he's going to do if they threaten me. Um, this, it's the first time that I've ever had anyone who would fight to protect me from something they can't see. So, um, did you, were you ever physically, did you, did you ever physically feel these beings? Did they ever no, touch they, you? No, they, no, they would, they would jump out of reach. I mean, they would, they would back up and, 
Um, of course, I'm not getting out of my bed. There is no way. Not that a blanket can protect you from much, but, you know, I think of my bed as my safe space. And um, so the first few times that this happened, uh, right after, let's see, the day after he tried to grab my dog, my dog had blood in his stool for three days after that. Um, the next time that the guy came with the, the whole scenario happened again and, and I got close to it and I don't think I actually physically touched it and I don't think they physically touched me, but the next three days, the same thing happened with me. So I'm thinking, what the hell can happen? What, what is this that it can cause physical trauma to my dog and to me? And and not be there that that my husband can see. Why can't my husband see? And this is this is probably the most um, excruciating part of any of these any of these um, visitations is because I see something that is physically there. I see somebody who has who has mass and form, and the person beside me can't see them. Now, this, there was another time that a portal opened, and this is within the past year and a half as well. Um, and the portal opened in, in the far corner of the wall, and, um, and there was a man on the inside of the portal. And I remember thinking, I woke, I woke Brent up, and I said, there's a guy in the portal in the corner of the room. And he's like, what's he look like? I said, well, it's a a black man and he's standing at some kind of controls and I pointed at him and as soon as I pointed the man looked over and realized he looked shocked that I could see him and he started like pushing buttons and Brent jumps up and the guy there was like a, a laser beam that shot out of the portal and it landed on Brent's face and upper body and I said you've got a light on you you know, don't move, don't go over there, don't go forward. There's there's something happening. Don't don't go near it. And um and so, you know, the confusion sort of subsided and um the portal closed and I said, just lay back down, he's gone. Well, about an hour and a half later, Brent gets up, he his left arm is is tingling. And um, he's having trouble breathing. His face is on fire and he feels like he's having a heart attack. His, his chest is tightening. And he said, um, he goes, I think, I'm, I think I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm dying. He said, my face is on fire. I feel like I've been burned by the sun. And I said, well, I can't take you to the hospital. If you need to go to the hospital, we need to call 911. I said, take some baby aspirin and, you know, see how you feel. And, you know, the next day, everything, everything took, you know, a, a day or two for it to subside. He really did feel like he had some form of, um, of an attack, even though he couldn't see anything there. So it wasn't just suggestion. He was, this is a man, he's a successful guy. He's an intelligent man and he cares for you. And, you know, just because he cares for you and he's keeping an open mind does not mean he's going to have an experience like this. And it's something to consider for someone outside of your story, like myself, to say, well, maybe there, you know, there really is something happening here. And 
you know, there are very few people. Why well, you you know? I take that back. There are many people who will listen to your story and consider it to be real because so many people have had their own experiences, um, and we've narrowed it down to either an alien abduction, some kind of haunting, or some kind of visit from demons. But once again, this is probably something much different. Well, why can't there be multiple levels? You know, why does it have to be one or the other? Right, right. Well, just the fact that, and it's so curious, such an amazing story you're telling. Um, sitting here listening to you tell the tale of this eight-foot man, which wasn't a man. Uh, and then, you know, once you challenged him and said, you're just a man, then he morphs and you know, shows you a reptilian face. You know, I wonder if whatever beings these are can read our collective un- unconscious. Um, they can read our fears, you know. And again, I only I go back to story because in Stephen King's It, there's a character Pennywise, but it's really an alien that crash landed to Earth in prehistoric times. That that's what it is in the book, and it has the ability to read fears, to read minds. It's very psychic. And so it comes in the form of the things that the kids are afraid of. And um, in this case, it seems like, you know, this is not that far off uh, from whatever that is. It's, um, it's hard to describe things that no one else can see. And I think that you as a, a writer and a producer of, of horror, I think that you have a very good imagination and you can use that and come up with a very good representation of what, what someone is seeing or saying or describing. But I think a lot of people have a hard time um, believing because they, they don't have any way to reference it. You know, if you've never had a scary experience, then it's very difficult to understand. Correct. And, you know, I think that maybe your stories and discussions like the one we're having right now, uh, getting out to more people, it plants that in the mind and sparks the brain to keep the mind open to what these things might be. So getting to my next question, and these are some extraordinary stories you're telling, at what point did you, and maybe you were like this your whole life because you were so open, but did you really start to think about what this is? And the second part of that question is the fact that you kept an open mind to consider what these things are. Did it make them any less terrifying? Well, I, I think that, I think I had a, a, a real breakdown when it comes to, um, my experiences and I had to really just sort of give in and accept that there were things that were not normal happening to me. And that's, that's hard to, hard to do because, um, you know, I had to hide it for so long from so many people. It's hard to ignore something that is so real to you. Um, and it's not something that you can talk about with your regular friends. I wouldn't go and hang out with my girlfriends around the neighborhood and 
make cookies and drink margaritas and talk about any of these experiences. It would never happen because I didn't want to be cast out of the normal crowd. Um, right. And, and not, not to interrupt, but to clarify, that was a good deal of your life. You were you, you lived very normally. You weren't like just somebody who was reclusive and went to groups of people who had these experiences, correct? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, I, I had children in Catholic school. I, you know, had to follow, you know, the the religious views for the most part because I didn't want my kids to be um, ostracized either, and that could absolutely happen. So, you know, it, it's it's tough to be a parent and have a daughter who's experiencing things too, because it's it's my job to teach her what is right what is wrong, what is real, and what's not real. And when you have these things happening, like my daughter, she's had, I'll, I'll give you an example. When she was two and a half years old, just learning to speak, she's she's very smart little girl, but she's still only two years old. And um, she says, Mama, the little things are here, and I don't know what to do. And I said, what are the little things? She says, well, they're like these little bitty circles that float around. And I said, well, what do they look like? They're circles. I said, what color, what color are they? Well, they're all different colors. I said, well, what do they do? Do they just stay on the ceiling? She says, no, they come down and they land on me. I said, where? So she points at her wrist and she says, you see this, mama? These are my veins. And I was like, okay. And she said, they go inside my veins and they check my blood. And this is a two-year-old child. And I said, what? Okay, why do they do that? They said to check if I'm healthy, to see if I'm okay. And I said, do they do that to mommy? And she said, no, mommy, they already have yours. And so at that point, I was just floored. Because I'm hearing something that sounds so profound from a two-year-old child. She was only two. She was two and a half years old, yes. Wow. Wow. And I have it on video because I was just so shocked. <laughs> so just to clarify for, for the audience, your daughters have had these experiences, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of them. Yes. And have they shared all of their experiences with you? Well, you know, uh, my my oldest, Maddie, has had these experiences for a long time. And I actually, um, when I moved to this house, when we started having a lot of experiences, I sort of put this boundary on um, this, this type of visitation. I, I you know put all of these crystals around the house and I, you know, thought, oh gosh, what can I do? So I said, you know what, you can do anything to me, but you got to leave my daughters alone. You cannot screw with my kids. This is it. This is my limit. You can talk to me. You can communicate with me. You can take me. I don't care. Just don't do it to my daughters. Leave my daughters. Let them be simple. Let them be young and, and let them live their childhood happily. And my daughter this past year, um, she came up to me and she's 10 years old now. She's getting ready to turn 11. And she said, mommy, I'm really mad at you. And I said, why? 
And she said, because you told the little things that they can't be in my life anymore. And so that was the first time that I really thought, oh, my goodness, maybe maybe it's not my place to um, put restrictions on that. Because obviously she had a connection. And, you know, I, I, I have not lifted that restriction, but I think that at some point in the future that she will be able to say, you know, you can, you can contact me as long as you don't hurt me, that type of thing. Wow. What would you say was the absolutely most terrifying experience you've had that just shook you to the bone and, and made you want this to stop? Well, okay, so there was there was a a time, I guess I'll just start right here. My my brother passed away in 2006. Um he died of a accidental overdose in his bed. And I kept all of his furniture. Um I bought a patio home and moved all of the furniture from him into my place. Um But after he passed away, I had stayed with my mom. She was uh, very, very depressed for a long time. I mean, as you can imagine. But about two weeks after my brother died, uh, I was there with my dog. And she had a little miniature pincher. And I had this little dog from Greece. And we both, I was sleeping in bed with her. And we both awakened to a boom and our bed shaking and the headboard being pounded on. Bam, 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 bam. And of course, there was. we were trying to figure out what the hell just happened. We both heard the boom. We both felt the, the banging on the headboard. And this is a, a massive bed, solid mahogany, very large bed. And the house on the we're trying to think of what's going on. So on the other side of the, the wall to the bedroom was a drop off of two stories. So it wasn't like anything. And there were no trees around. There was nothing that could have hit the wall, nothing that could have hit the side of the house. Um, no one else was in the home. And the dogs started barking. I mean, just going nuts on the end of the bed. And they were barking at the headboard. So both my mom and I are having heart attacks when um, we're trying to figure out what happened. So we're both crying because we're just shaken and we're in a state of grief still. And the dogs, we got the dogs and I was like, what the hell was that? So we got the dogs and we're thinking maybe, maybe somebody was trying to break into the house. So we let the dogs out of the bedroom and they immediately went to the basement door. Now, my brother lived in the bottom level of the house. It had its own master suite and um, kitchenette area. And it was just like his little zone of privacy. And it was it was a great space. But there was a glass door separating like at the top of the stairs to go down into the lower level. And the dogs both ran to that door barking like crazy. And immediately stopped and they both sat down at the same time looking at the window and of course you know we were scared to death the alarm hadn't gone off so i we knew that there wasn't nobody in the house but having both dogs react 
um, to something that we heard, we we felt that it had to have been something physical. So we let them we let them wander the house and and they go to the door and they're looking at the glass door to the basement to his bedroom to his area, and they both stopped and immediately sat down. So that was one of the freakiest times where where the hair on the on your body starts to stand up and you get chills. Um, and then we didn't find anything. There was nothing there. But I do feel like my brother was saying, hey, snap out of it. You know, it's it's time to get back to to life. Stop grieving. I'm fine. That's that was it was a, a time where I I felt it was a true connection to him. I think that he was just letting us know, snap out of it. Everything's going to be fine. But that was a that was a spooky spooky visit between my mom and I. <laughs> we'll never forget it. Wow. And you had mentioned something uh, previously about your brother to me, uh, not in this interview, but in regard to a bed that you kept of his. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with talking about that? Of course. You want to talk about okay. the dead bed? Yeah, just for a moment. I, I thought it was a pretty fascinating tale, and it, it's actually. Um, you know, I had always suspected in regard to the Amityville case that the, the the Lutzes were the only family that experienced a haunting in the house. And I know for a fact that George Lutz had kept all the bed frames of the, the DeFeo family that were killed in their beds. After that, the furniture was removed from the home. And so future residents never experienced anything. So when you told me that story about your your brother's bed, it just further confirms my my suspicion that perhaps an inanimate object like a bed can retain uh, a tragic energy. Well, since you mentioned it, yeah, I do believe that that is the case with my bed. Um, he passed away in the bed in 2006, and I kept the bed as a guest bedroom Um and I still have it in my guest bedroom now. This is 14 years later. Um, and anytime that anyone would come over and spend the night, I had you know guests that would come in from out of town and they would stay in it. And nobody wanted to go to the dead bed. But I was like, it's the best bed in the house. You're not sleeping with me. Okay. So... <laughs> So um, one of the first times that we had um, sort of confirmation that that the bed may be haunted is um, I have a girlfriend named Hillary, and she's part of this group that I was uh, a member of called the CE5, which is Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which means, um, simply put, it's human-initiated contact. And um, I, I was part of this group for six years. Um, and I think that it helped having a group of like-minded individuals with different gifts around me. But anyway, so we would have these uh, meditations and she would come over along with the other girls and everybody sort of spread out. I had six bedrooms in my home. And so Hillary always wanted to have the biggest bed, which was the the master down in the basement. So um, she and, and one of the other girls had been laying down in the bed. And th- this is without alcohol. There's no drugs, no alcohol involved in any, any of these situations. Um, but she, Hillary, um, was having some, some sensations and feelings. Um, as soon as she laid down, she felt a little off, like there was something going on. 
um, and and Cheryl, the other girl that was sleeping beside her, started getting nauseous and sick, violently ill, to the point where she had to leave the house at like two two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, and, and left. Um, but Hillary felt her get up, go to the bathroom. She knew she was in the bathroom, and then. Someone sat down on the bed beside her and laid down and pulled the blankets. So she was like, that's odd, because she could still see the light in the bathroom and didn't understand why Cheryl would not turn the light off if she had come out of the bedroom to go back to or out of the bathroom to go back to bed. So Hillary is, you know, just thinking, huh, I wonder if I should go turn the light off or never mind, I'll just go back to sleep. And then then Cheryl comes out of the bathroom, turns the light off, and lays down in bed beside her. And she's like, holy crap. She just laid down, but somebody else was in bed with me. And um, and that was really, that was not the, not the last time that this happened. So uh, fast forward a few months, and the same group of girls comes over, and they're Everybody spreads out in the house, and Hillary is sleeping in the basement again. And she's get the she gets the master bedroom, and um, and she says that there was a boy who blonde hair with a royal blue sweatshirt, like a pullover on, was standing and watching her all night long. <laughs> and she said, she said the next time I come over. Could you please tell your brother not to be a pervert and stop watching me? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I found that pretty entertaining. I, so we, we always call it the deadbed because anybody who has ever stayed in has had an experience. So if you want to come over and have a visit from my brother who's been dead for 14 years, you're more than welcome to use the deadbed. <laughs> no, I'll, uh, I'll just listen to the stories. I, <laughs> my imagination is vivid enough. <laughs> I appreciate you telling me that story because obviously I know it's something really tragic in your mm. life. You know, we move forward on things and we look at them in different ways. So where you ended up going after all of these experiences, everything that, that has happened, now you have, you're, you're in a new relationship, you're in a new marriage, and your husband seems to be very interested and open to all of the things that are happening to you. Where are you now with this? What do you think all of this is after all of these years? What is it now? And you can even put it in the context of, of a new situation and how you and your husband are dealing with it. Well, what's funny is that he, my husband is a investigator for um, the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization. So as, as crazy as that sounds, we make a good pair because at least he has this uh, scientific method. He's been um, led a few expeditions for finding Bigfoot. Uh, he is very respected. He uses all different types of um, scientific equipment to judge surroundings and video and record. He has night vision and all these cameras and all of these, all of these really high-tech devices. And so what happened was when we started having these experiences in his home, it, it was strange because I really thought 
maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just at my house. Um, but when I started having them here at his home, he said, let's put up some cameras. So he bought, or he, he had, um, bought all of these pieces of equipment for his investigations out in the field, but he put four cameras, night vision cameras. And for an entire year, we've re recorded video for 24 hours a day for an entire year. Um, and we, the most things, the most that we can find, most that we can see were orbs flying around the room. And it was very um, disheartening for me because I really did think at some point, oh my God, we're going to, we're going to get a picture. We're going to get a video. It's going to happen because I wanted it to happen. I wanted to have that, that proof. Well, there's still time, no? <laughs> well, I gave up. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> we got orbs, but you can see the dogs and the cats responding to to different things moving around the room. You can see me getting up and, and fighting with things. But I never, never saw anything other than orbs. Um, now, we did have anomalies where the recordings would, uh, they would glitch out at 3 a.m., one camera and then the next camera would glitch out and then the next camera would glitch out. And, and that was sort of intriguing, but I never got any kind of solid physical forms of anything other than these little orbs flying around the room. And it's not enough for me. I want a solid person. <laughs> that's tough. I mean, you know, perhaps that's how they manifest for the camera. That's what they look like on camera. You know, um, uh, you know, great parapsychologist, Dr. Barry Taff, you know, years ago studied the case of Doris Byther, which eventually became the movie, The Entity, or the book first. And, um, you know, when they took the photos back then, and the, and I believe it was either early video or film, they had experts analyze the photographs. This is way before photos could be altered like they could, like they are often today. Uh, they found something that was impossible, you know, the way light was bending in the photos, the way things exposed. Photo experts knew that that couldn't be faked and that was something to consider. So I wonder if, if someone analyzes your videos of the orbs that someone could also feel the same way about what you captured. You know, perhaps the details and the proof is in a deeper analysis. You know, it very well could be. I I don't have um, a very highly technical skill for it. I, I reviewed the footage almost every morning, and I can never see anything. Maybe there there could be things that I'm just missing. You know, I can't sit there and go through 24 hours of video or 12 hours of video every single day. You know, you start looking... Right. You start looking at um, the abnormalities rather than what's really in the screen and the, the images. And when you've got four cameras that are shooting 24 hours a day, it's just a lot of data to go over. And I'm sure I've missed something, but maybe, you know, maybe the, the, the technology will be better in the next few years and I can get better cameras. I don't know. And, and it's an amazing thing to continue to observe and think about. And it seems like now you're in this new chapter where you're 
you're really going to continue to watch and analyze. And you have these groups, you're meeting with people who are having similar experiences and you're helping them. Rewinding back to Doris Bytha for a second, if you're familiar with her story, she had claimed to have been uh, raped by these entities. And um, one night there were, and this is in the early 70s, there was a group of parapsychologists, including Dr. Barry Taff, uh, from a California University, uh, where they all witnessed something together in Doris Bither's bedroom. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw an apparition appear and then disappear. Uh, it blew everyone away. And, and to this day, that's one of the most terrifying movies to sit and watch. And the fact that she was being raped by these things, do you think that what happened to her is somewhat similar to your experience and i know you weren't attacked in that way but do you believe whatever was coming through to her came from a similar dimension or environment or wherever these things are from you know you're you're talking about the terror involved in in a situation like that you know i've been sexually assaulted before and it is not pleasant and i would never wish it upon anyone um, and and being able to um, survive that and keep going and get out in the world is is a challenge for for any young woman um, who's experienced it. Um, I do believe that I've had similar experiences. I will not say that I've been raped by entities, but I do believe that my body has been used for um, maybe reproductive purposes. Um, I feel like I've been pregnant before, multiple times. I have felt babies move inside me, and then they're gone. And, you know, there was a, a movie that was a documentary that was made a few years ago called Extraordinary the Seating. And I was asked to share my story in it. And at the time, I was going through a divorce, and I did not want any kind of attention drawn to the subject whatsoever. So I declined. Um, but later, at the beginning of this year, I decided that uh, my partner for my my podcast, Universal Secrets, um, plugging it, which is KGRA, sorry. <laughs> but I, I, I did tell him, I said, you know, I, I've told you about some of my experiences and how I wanted to keep them quiet until I was past my divorce and ready to actually come forward and share my stories. Because I think that it's very important for people to know that they are happening so that they know that they're not alone. Um, and like I said, I don't have the answers, but I can share with you the fact that I've gone through them and I have come back and I have survived. Yes, I've had bruises. I've, I've awakened with bruises on my inner thighs. I've awakened with bruises on my hips, my, um, my arms, and to the point where I look like I've been beaten or thrown down the stairs. But when it comes down to it, I I come back every morning, I wake up, I feel extremely drained, I feel exhausted most of the time. But um, I'm, I'm here. And I do feel like there is a purpose. And my, my part in this that I'm playing it may be very minimal. It may be a small role in um, some kind of cosmic plan. 
But um, when it comes down to the idea of being forcibly uh, raped or or molested by an entity, I am not sure that our um, our morals are the same as theirs. I don't think that they see it as being raped. I think they see it as experimentation to help further their cause. And whatever that may be, is that to create um, a, a more advanced human, um, to alter our DNA to where we are more capable to survive in the future or in a different place or you know, I, I don't have the answers, but I do feel like there is a purpose. Just because it looks scary doesn't mean that it's it's a negative entity. Do you know what sure. I'm saying? I do, but I also think that maybe the intrusive nature, you know, like we ask for permission to go into someone's bedroom in the middle of the night and startle them, and um, these things don't seem to care. Right. And well, their their moral compass is different than ours. Right. Well, there's a, and I'm sure I, you know, I, I know this is a complicated thing to answer, but what, after all of these years, what do you believe these things are? Uh, you know, I, I really do feel that um, most of the things that I've experienced are, I, I really do say that they are a mix between humanity and extraterrestrial. I think that they're in cahoots. I think that our government has been working with them for a very long time. And I do believe that we've been trying to um, advance our technology through them. I think that they are exchanging our bodies and the availability of us for extraterrestrial purposes um and i i do feel like it's it's not really a positive thing i think it is a negative thing that that we're encountering a lot of this so just to clarify and what i'm getting from this is that you feel that we uh the people of earth right we are subjects to an enormous experiment being conducted by these beings in cooperation with certain humans that are allowing it to happen. Is that what you're suggesting? I think that there's different factions, but yes. Wow. I think that there's there's um, a, a large group who are, who are in communication with um, a lot of the superpowers of the world. I think they've been um, working with them for a very long time. And I do think that there are some entities and some extraterrestrials who are um, looking out for our benefit, but I think that there's good and bad. I think there's black and white, and I think there's um, different agendas. I, I, I mean, look at all the different people on Earth, everyone, all the different colors, and there's a wide range of normal people and serial killers and crazy zealots. Um, I don't think that we can limit extraterrestrials by any means. Sure. So you think it's a similar situation. There's a variety of intentions and personalities. Yes. and um, Absolutely. 
naturally as there would be if they have any kind of intelligence. And while, while, you know, I'm being contacted by um, one group, it doesn't mean that there's only one group, group contacting me. I think that I'm sort of a beacon. I think that, you know, when you have an elevated sense of self and consciousness, that you become more available and open to anyone that's sort of passing by. Well, it's, it's odd, you know, I mean, 300 years before Christ, you know, uh, Aristotle, which was uh, probably infinitely more intelligent than anybody on this planet at the moment, uh, or most people, uh, you know, they contemplated things back then. They, they considered things. And that was a long, long time ago. And I think people have grown quite arrogant. And that is why these things all become uh, a taboo because technology takes over and people are dumbed down by the worst entertainment you could imagine. And then uh, they, for some reason, they're arrogant and they dismiss the mystical. Uh, but I think maybe we're entering a new age, like you had suggested. I think we're going to be open to things. It doesn't deplete the nefarious forces around us, you know, the mind control and the manipulation and everything. But if you were to retain anything on your way out of here, leaving this life, and, and you can explain this however you want to, what would you take with you? I think that I would take with me the, the fact that I'm starting to believe myself. I'm beginning to believe those experiences that I have shut away and held deep within myself. All of those experiences have changed who I am. They have given me a new understanding. And I really don't care what anyone else thinks. I've gotten to the point where I am old enough to trust my instincts. Back in, in you know, when I was when I was young, my mom would always say, trust your gut, trust your gut. What is your gut? You know, this is this is deep inside of you and you have to trust what you feel, what you sense, what you see. And and I I really believe that the only reason I'm here is to um to help people and help my children grow and and believe themselves and not doubt constantly what they're what they're experiencing and to learn from each experience whether it's to learn that you do not have to be so fearful um, learn that you can open your eyes open your heart open um, yourself to other experiences and and learn from each single one of them um, that's 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 it I mean, I don't, I don't want to be dumbed down and sitting in silence and rocking back and forth, wondering why people don't believe me, what's going on. I don't care. I got to the point where I just don't care. I'm too old to sit there and, and worry about if, if someone is going to make fun of me for talking about um, an experience that shook me to my core. It's, I'm too old for that. <laughs> I don't have time or the patience anymore for it. 
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. What I personally took from learning about Tiffany's experience is that there's more to our existence than what we've tried to simplify and understand, and our very consciousness might eventually be rethought and perhaps even redefined completely. In other words, I truly believe that our collective thoughts and perspectives will be quite different in the coming future. Some say we will evolve into something other than human, a total transformation of body and mind. It's an evolutionary track that we've been on for millions of years. So, from these visitations, is there a deliberate warning like the one left for Ebenezer Scrooge? Is it a personal message, or are we on the precipice of a complete evolution of our current reality? It's certainly something to think about, I'll leave you with a quote from one of my all-time favorite authors. It's short, somewhat esoteric, but I think, for me, it represents tonight's show rather well. It's from The Nameless City by the godfather of cosmic horror, the mighty H.P. Lovecraft. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange aeons, even death may die. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.